I invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. I had intended to read Luke 24 to kick off our time, but um, we've already done that, which is great. No, this is, that's wonderful. Our minds are set already on where, where our affections ought to be, which is the resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This celebration of his resurrection is not reserved for one day a year. I know that's just a cliche that we always kind of bring that up, but it's true. Every time we get together, we're celebrating the resurrection. It's through the resurrection we have life. And so this is just a, a special day set aside to recognize it. Um, it's no more special than any other, but we, we do, again, recognize it with joy, with uh, passion, and enthusiasm with great rejoicing. John chapter 10. Let's take a moment and pray together. Father, you are God, and there is no other. Thank you that you've given us the greatest gift in the person of your Son, your Spirit, your Word. Help us to yield our hearts to you now. Humble us. May our affection be for you, your Son, through your Spirit. May we magnify his name that each one in this room and those who may be listening through other means would have their passions and minds engaged in that which is most important. Do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've all read obituaries. So-and-so of anywhere town USA passed away on such-and-such a day at such-and-such a time and many times you'll see the phrase, it's not always true, but many times you'll see the phrase, passed away, surrounded by loved ones. We want to be there when our loved ones pass away. We don't want them to be alone in this moment of death. But what happens next? Who's there then? David penned the words, and you're familiar with them, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The good shepherd walks with his sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. The good shepherd walks with his sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. And as we celebrate the momentous occasion of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the greatest event in history, we want to consider it through the lens of his kindly good shepherding in our lives. We want to discuss five ways, 
the shepherd's care is seen. First of all, the first way we will see our shepherd's care seen in John chapter 10 is that the good shepherd knows his sheep. The good shepherd knows his sheep. Take a look, please, beginning at verse 14 of John chapter 10. We're going to be moving around in John chapter 10. But first, John 10, verse 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. I know my sheep. Look at the beginning of John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And listen, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Listen to what he's saying. He's talking about the shepherd. The shepherd knows his sheep. He knows their name. And he leads them. He knows how to lead them, because he knows their woes. He knows how to lead them because he knows their struggles. He knows how to lead them because he knows who they are. He knows their name. He knows their personality. He knows, he knows all their warts, failures, and sinfulness. And yet, still, in spite of all their failures and all their sinfulness and all their nastiness and muddiness and smelliness he still leads them and he knows them and they know his voice there's a passage in the book of second timothy that echoes this just a bit in second timothy chapter 2 and verse 19 the bible says this but the firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Jesus knows his sheep in every way, inside and out. And he still serves as our shepherd. That's care, friends. That's care. He cares for us. There's a second way in which we recognize the shepherd's care in this passage. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Beginning in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He lays down his life. He, 
his, his care for his sheep goes beyond making sure they have something to eat. His care for the sheep is beyond the fact that he makes sure that they're in the fold at night, to make sure that they're well cared for. His, his care goes to the point where someone comes to steal the sheep, devour the sheep, and he doesn't run like a little scared child. He's there to the death. This shepherd wasn't just there to the death. He actually said, hey, I'm going to lay myself down. I'm going to lay myself down to the death. He didn't, he didn't die in the fight. He said, no, I, for my sheep to be part of this fold, there's no fight. I'm laying myself down. Remember, Jesus said, if, if I were going to fight, I could call seven legion of angels right now. I wonder who would win. Just as a point of illustration, you'll remember when the, the Roman guards came into the garden and they said, where is Jesus of Nazareth? He said two words. Remember? What was it? I am. What happened? Boom! On their backs. No fight. He wins that fight. This is not a fight. This is a self-sacrificial laying down of his life. This is how much he cares for his sheep. He lays down his life. In his concern for the deepest need of the sheep, Jesus supplies what can only be accomplished by his own bloody, sacrificial death. What was the need for sacrifice? Why did he need to sacrifice himself? Why did he need to lay his life down? There is a one-word answer. It's three letters. Ready? Sin. That's the reason he needed to sacrifice himself. Sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Of God. Isaiah says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Sin. Sin is any violation of God's law. Sin is any violation of God's law. And to follow that up just a little bit for our consideration, when we sin and violate one area of the law, the Bible tells us that we are guilty of all of it. Well, my sin's not as bad as his. I am not Adolf Hitler. I am not like Pilate. I am not like the crowd that cried out, crucify him. I, I'm not like the pedophile or the rapist. I'm not the thief or the murderer. The Bible says when you sin, you have become guilty of all. You're on par with every other sinner that's ever lived. You're no better. I'm no better. I'm a sinner. Sin is why Jesus had to lay down his life. Why a bloody death? Why a bloody death? Well, Leviticus tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The term remission means removal. God doesn't remove sin without blood. And so you might have a follow-up question. Why is that the case? Why, does, why is blood necessary? Ready? Here's another simple answer for you. Because God said so, and he makes the rules. Here's the good news. Not only does God make the rules, he makes sure that the rules are fulfilled. Fulfilled. So, where I cannot bring a bloody sacrifice that will take away my sin, 
God says, I will provide a bloody sacrifice that will take away your sin. So God has every right to make a rule. He's God. But he's not, he's not the God of mankind's imagination. He's not an angry ogre like so many have envisioned him to be. He's a God who at my violation of his law, instead of crushing me, like you and I would do if we were in his shoes, he says, I will, instead of crushing you, Rob, I will crush my son, Jesus, in your stead. I will crush my son. This is a unique God. He doesn't just require the fulfillment of rules. He fulfills the rules on our behalf. And so we have this statement from the book of Ephesians. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So God fulfills what we cannot. And so Jesus says, I lay down my life. As the good shepherd, I lay down my life. He, he casts himself down. He, he voluntarily laid it down. Look at chapter 10 again in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives, gives his life for the sheep. Look at verse 15. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay my life down. I lay down my life for the sheep. He's doing this voluntarily. Verse 17. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Verse 18. No one takes it from me. Can I have that just register in your mind? The Romans didn't do it. The Jews didn't do it. I didn't do it. Jesus did it. He laid his life down because he's the good shepherd. There's no other shepherd like this. He's the good shepherd. I lay down my life and I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Jesus lays down his life. We, we see this caring good shepherd first in that he knows his sheep. Secondly, in that he voluntarily died for his sheep. Thirdly, in this text, the good shepherd takes his own life back again. The good shepherd takes his own life back again. We just read it, but we're going to read it again. Verses 17 and 18. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. And what does it say? I have power to take it again. He has power to take it again. Now, what you'll notice, if you're a student of the Scriptures, particularly of the New Testament, you'll notice that all three members of the Trinity are attributed or credited with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, the Spirit is given uh, credit. It says, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness, that's the Holy Spirit, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. God the Father is given credit for it in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. The Bible says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Here in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I have 
take, I have the power to take it up again. In John chapter 2, in verse 19, it says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, referring to himself, and in three days, what does it say? I will raise it up. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, all attributed, all credited with the resurrection. Does this produce confusion? Is this contradictory? No. No, I, I propose to you that it's not contradictory at all. It's telling us something. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are in cahoots. Their purposes are union. Their acts are union. Everything they do is in this perfect Union. That's why we call it the triune Godhead. They are both three and united, which is why in a passage like Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, it does not in any way contradict our understanding of the Trinity. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is... What did you say? It, the word is union. The Lord your God, the Lord is union. He is unified. It does say one. You can translate it that way. But the idea is far more that they are together in this, in every way. They're union. This does not speak contradictorily, but in fact it speaks of their union. The, the good shepherd raises himself from the grave. This is no ordinary shepherd. Hold your hand here. Turn one book to your right. Acts chapter 2, please. You don't know anyone else that can raise themselves from the dead, do you? You don't know anyone that can raise anyone from the dead. Never mind themselves. There's something unique about this shepherd. He's not your average shepherd. He's far greater. And Acts chapter 2 wants to tell us about that. Look, beginning in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him, this Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up. What's the next phrase say? Will you say it with me? Having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, and I may, uh, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to seek corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, you will make me full of joy in your presence. Now he applies it. Listen to what he says. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He... For seeing this, 
spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades or the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, listen carefully, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Death could not defeat him and the grave could not hold him he loosed the pains of death and he released himself from the grave he is the resurrected Lord God Savior that's who he is so as we think back in John chapter 10 and we're thinking about the good shepherd and how all of these concepts tell us of his care for us. First, we saw that, that his care for us was demonstrated in that he knows us. His care is demonstrated in that he lays down his life for us. But how does this concept of him taking his own life back and this concept of him being more than an ordinary shepherd, how does this really apply to his care for us? Listen, God died for you. God laid down his own life for you. Is there a greater demonstration of care than that? No, there isn't. God himself laid his life down. There's a fourth way in which the good shepherd demonstrates his care as we turn back to John chapter 10. The good shepherd provides life for his sheep. The good shepherd provides life for his sheep. We're in John 10. Please look with me at verse 7 and following. It says, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Listen carefully. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. I've come to give you life. Verse 16. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Here Jesus is letting us know that the ultimate goal of this shepherd is to provide life, abundant life, eternal life, real life. Life through Christ leads to fullness of joy. He is not only, listen, he's not only the shepherd, he's the door. So now, 
if you just take a step back from the passage just for a moment, he starts talking about this doorkeeper. And that's what he says at the beginning of the chapter. He says, okay, the shepherd comes and the doorkeeper lets him in. The one that comes in through the door is the shepherd. Everyone that comes up another way, that's not the shepherd. That's someone else. They're, they're trying to sneak in. The, the shepherd comes in through the door. And then he says, by the way, I'm the door. He's not just the shepherd. He's the door and the doorkeeper. And he makes sure that only the sheep end up in the fold. And that all the sheep end up in the fold. That's what Jesus does. And he gives life. He's the door into real life. I don't know where you stand, friend. I don't know what, what your background is. I don't know what your religious experience is. I don't know what your relationship with God is like. But I can tell you this. If you want to have abundant life, eternal life, real life, that lasts, life that's fulfilling, that's filled with joy, I can tell you about the door. The one who is the door who lets you in is the one who is the shepherd who makes the payment so you might get in. This is, quite, this is quite a shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He knows us. And he lays his life down for us. And he takes his life back. The reason is because if he doesn't take his life back, the sacrifice is not sufficient. And, and he gives life. Real life. Not the facade offered to you every day in the world. It's, that, that does not fulfill. It, you find an end to the, the fun. You find an end to the fulfillment. You find an end to the joy in that. It, do, it runs its course. Someone who feasts upon the joy from the Lord Jesus does not find an end to it. The only time that we find an end to the joy in Christ is when we've sought for joy somewhere else. That's when the joy ends. But when you seek the joy that comes in Christ, it doesn't ever end. This is abundant life. Fifthly, now this may possibly be, I don't know, this may possibly be the longest worded point that I've ever communicated. Okay? But we have to understand this point. It's, it's like, probably violates 27 rules of homiletics. But it's Okay? Listen to this last way in which the Good Shepherd shows his care for us. The Good Shepherd was forsaken in the valley of the shadow of death. So his sheep would never be forsaken in death. The Good Shepherd was forsaken in the valley of the shadow of death. So his sheep would never be forsaken in death. I want for you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 15, just for a moment. Jesus, at seven times on the cross, pained himself so he might get a deep enough breath to cry out and communicate. Seven times he did this. This is one of those seven times that he spoke on the cross. Mark 15, 33 and following. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. 
And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? Which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here is Jesus in the valley of the shadow of death, humiliated, naked, rejected by men, betrayed, abandoned, abandoned by the Father because he became sin. He became sin. Do you understand that Jesus is God? God knows everything. He knows sin. God has not participated in sin. He, he is, he is a, he's other than sin. He can't sin. He's God. And yet here is Jesus, the sinless, perfect creator of the world who's never in all of eternity known sin. And he becomes sin. He at the same time became sin and the offering for sin. At the very same time, his sin and the offering for sin. This is, this is unfathomable. And in that moment, becoming lust and greed and thievery and murder and rape and pedophilia, in that moment, with, with everything, drunkenness and revelry and every other kind of disgusting and despicable sin cast upon him, he becomes sin and the Father judges him. He becomes sin, and the Father turns away from him. He cannot look upon the Son because he is sin. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we walk in the light and walk in darkness, we have, we're a liar. We, we have no fellowship with him. Here's Jesus, abandoned in the valley of the shadow of death. Why? So that God's promise to us would be real and full and fulfilled when God says in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said listen I will never leave you nor you see that word forsake that's the same word why have you forsaken me Jesus was forsaken by the father so that he would never be forsaken God will never forsake his sheep Jesus did this. He walked through the valley of the shadow of death all alone. All by himself. Oh, there were people around, two thieves on each side, people around them mocking, jeering, maybe some compassionate. You know, John was there. His, his mother was there. There were other, They were compassionate, but he's all alone. Even the father abandons him. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus die for you? If he did, he was also raised for you. If he died for you, why not embrace him as your savior, shepherd, and never turn back? If there's one main idea I'd like you to leave with, it's this. The good shepherd was forsaken in the valley of the shadow of death, so his sheep would never be forsaken in death. You, you, I'm talking about you, you do not ever you never have to go through the valley of the shadow of death alone. Jesus did that for you. He will walk with you, nay, he will carry you through the valley of the shadow of death. Will you let him? Let's pray. God, you are beyond our wildest imaginations good and kind to us. 
your provision for our sinful, rebellious souls stuns us. Jesus, shepherd, your willingness to face the deepest, darkest, most horrific experience of eternity humbles us. Thank you. Father, we need you. There are undoubtedly some in this room who have not become your sheep. Do your work to bring them into the fold through Jesus. Those of us who are your sheep, help us to rejoice. Help us to be glad. Help us to find our fullness in you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.